This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome to the program. Stacy on the right here on LifeZet TV, and I'm so excited to be with you today. I have a ton of stuff for us to cover. We are actually going to talk about this new breakthrough. It's not something that you can get as of yet, but it's really great news on the front for people who have nut allergies, specifically peanut allergies, but it will impact every kind of nut allergy. Um, so I'm going to cover that because we actually have allergic people at our household. I'm allergic to almonds. Our daughter is allergic to, well, cashews and almonds and a bunch of other ones. So we we do some nut avoidance for me and all for her. So I want to cover that story. We're going to talk about this Virginia race. I think people are either like it's everybody's on the far left or the far right of the spectrum on what happened there. And I'm not saying it's not important that a Democrat won that race, but I want to give you some details so you can kind of get a clear picture. It's not catastrophic, nor is it a total uh, Hail Mary or, you know, total victory even for the leftists. It's just the people of a state making decisions about who they want to govern them and what made sense for them. It, it, it's really that simple. So we'll talk about that. And then we're going to just do a quick news rundown. I have a ton of stuff that I've been reading over the past, well, I'd say 24 hours. And I, I'm just really surprised, honestly. I'll just give you a hint. I'm super surprised that the Democrats are actually going to carry through with this I actually had been convinced by some leftist news pundit, I guess, that the Democrats had the votes for impeachment already locked up. Otherwise, why would they launch into it? Well, it turns out they're not, they have 20 Republicans to flip in order to get the impeachment vote through the House. So we'll talk about that as well. So first, let's launch into this research roundup. This story is over at the Stanford Daily. And I actually don't read this paper a ton. I'm I'm not sure if I've been here more than once ever before, but a girlfriend of mine sent me this because a lot of us, and this is the case with a lot of Americans, every American family has someone in it who has some allergies of some kind. It's become very prevalent. And uh, rather than being someone who's an alarmist, we just handle it as, hey, this is something just like if you had diabetes or if you had some other kind of illness that you just were diagnosed with and boom, you have it, you just treat it that way. And so that's the way we treat it. We try not to be alarmist about it at our household, but it is something important. You have to have the EpiPens. It's an expensive illness to have. And so this research roundup with this information is really pertinent, not just for our family, but for tons of families around the country. So we're talking about peanut allergies, heart disease treatments, and wearable technology. So this, this covers the gamut. Uh, the peanut allergies have actually been shown in this new, um, it's it's a study that they did, and it was published Thursday by Stanford researchers in JCI Insight. So they found that an antibody injection allows people who have severe peanut allergies to eat nuts without complications. Yes! <laughs> I was like, this is so fantastic. So uh, the study found that 73% of the people who received the antibodies could actually eat nuts safely after two weeks. So the, they received the antibodies by injection, and then two weeks after the finishing of the course, they're able to begin to ingest nuts without issue. 
wow. You know, because some people, I remember when Madison was in kindergarten, we had the the distinct pleasure of being at a school where there were, I think, nine kids, including her, who had peanut or some kind of nut allergies. But the difference for us was Madison's wasn't catastrophic or airborne. So she could be around peanut butter sandwiches or people eating nuts. It didn't bother her. It was only if she had the oil from the, the skin of the nut, you know, so basically she holds any kinds of nuts at all, um, peanuts, any kind, Brazil nuts, whatever. And if she rubbed that on her skin, then she would break out and she certainly couldn't ingest it. It would definitely cause a re reaction, but she could be around while anyone else had, you know, what, whatever they'd like to have, peanut butter and jelly, whatever. Well, there were kids there who were airborne allergy kids, so they had to be off at a separate table. And the other thing about that was they really discouraged kids from bringing peanut butter sandwiches to school. And so that was really negative for our son, who was already attending at this grammar school. So this is a great development. So Kari Nadeau is a professor of medicine and pediatrics, and he was speaking to Stanford Medicine News when he shared this quote, what's great about this treatment is an option for food allergies is that people did not have to eat the food to get desensitized. So here in St. Louis, all of the studies are closed. We've tried to get in, but they're already full. These are studies in which they take kids who have nut allergies and they gradually expose them to the allergen in larger and larger doses over time, basically to wear the allergy down and to get the immune system used to dealing with the offending item. Now, this is interesting because I actually thought they'd stop those studies until one of our daughter's doctors told us that they were still doing them and we could try to get in. We haven't been successful at that yet, but this is even better than that because it doesn't involve you taking any of the offending item at all. He has another quote here. He says, although this is still in the experimental stages, we're delivering on the hope of testing a drug that won't be one for one food allergy, but for many and for other allergic diseases too. So the antibody treatment is called etkimobab. I'm butchering it, but you can see the story at listen.stacyontheright.com. That's where the show links for today's program on LifeSet TV will be located uh, and the audio of the show. If you, if you need to listen via audio, you can always find the audio version of the program there. It's a podcast. Awesome. Um, so the, it's E-T-O-K-I-M-A-B, etokimab, oh, etokimab, there, said it correctly, works by interfering with the function of interleukin-33, an immune signal, signaling molecule. And typically when a person with peanut allergies eats the food, IL-33 is activated and causes a signaling cascade, which then leads to the allergic reaction. By inhibiting IL-33, they potentially inhibit features of all allergies, which is promising. So they're going past the simple, the simple issue of the nut allergy itself, and they're going straight down to the antibody to treat that. That's actually a huge breakthrough in the science and the, the way that they're thinking about treating allergies. So really, really great news here. In future studies, the researchers hope to understand when to administer the antibody dose and the concentration of the antibody in future patients. So still more work to be done here, but I would just, uh, we're going to have to keep our eye on this because this will be important. It means hopefully that within our lifetime or kids' lifetimes, they will no longer be plagued by food allergies, which you know, we tend to kind of either, as I said, it's one extreme or the other. You just think everything is to be avoided and you can't even be in the room with someone who's eating the item that you're allergic to, or people are a little more nonchalant. And the story that I think of most often, especially when I'm talking to our daughter, trying to kind of, you know, 
prod her into being especially careful is that there was a young woman who was on a, it might've been a British Airways flight. She was flying from the UK to the US and she'd picked up a sandwich uh, from Predamanger and she had it on the plane with her and she ate it and died right there on the plane. She was allergic to sesame seeds and there were sesame seeds in the bun, but not on top. So she'd ask, are these buns sesame seed buns? And the person who's working there said, no, they're not. Just assuming because there were no sesame seeds on top that there were none inside. And so she ingested them and died. And it didn't say in the story, I read it three times through on the UK Daily Mail. It didn't say anything in the story about her being administered an EpiPen, if she had one on her, et cetera. I wonder if the EpiPen could have saved her life. But that being said, it would be fantastic to hit this at the antibody level, which would make it possible for people to no longer be avoiding certain foods. It would be the actual antibody that has been corrected so that they could ingest really whatever good things they'd like to eat. So uh, that's a good, a good development for us. Now, I promised you I'd talk about this. Uh, well, here it is. And, and I hate to be the, the, well, no, I don't hate it. I love it. I love being able to debunk the garbage that people are putting out there. So let's talk about the West Virginia. Um, well, this is Louisiana, first of all. In Louisiana, they were reelected a Democratic governor. And the Republicans have actually created a supermajority in the Louisiana State Senate after successfully defending uh, SD-16, which went to a runoff. So the final flip map for the 2019 LA Senate elections shows that the GOP flipped three districts. So why is this important? Well, so they gave a Democrat the governorship. This is not odd. We did the same thing here in Missouri for 16 years. In Missouri, up until just recently, we had super majorities in the House and the Senate at the state legislative level down in Jeff City at our Capitol. And for those 16 years, we also had Jay Nixon, a Democrat, as the governor. Lots of really kind of juicy background details on him that the GOP refused to campaign on or divulge at all. Meanwhile, he was reelected. And so what he would do is every few years when it was time for him to be reelected, he'd go out to rural Missouri to a gun range or someplace to a skeet shooting at a um, like a rural country club. And he'd be seen shooting guns, wearing, you know, a vest with with uh, magazines in it and uh, some boots, you know, some outdoor boots. He, he would look very much like a rural outstate Missourian. And he would be out there doing that. He, he would travel around the outstate doing meeting up at skeet shooting clubs and talking to Americans about his love of guns, Missourians, about his love of guns, et cetera, et cetera. And then when he would get reelected, he would go back to acting like a, you know, I wouldn't say he was a hardcore Democrat, like a Midwestern Democrat. So opposing things that, you know, anything that Republicans wanted to do. But he also had kind of a decent relationship with the legislature. So they, they weren't his friends, but when it came to funding the stuff that they wanted, he wouldn't defund it. So it was, it was contentious at times, but for the most part, he got along with whoever he needed to get along with to remain the governor. And Missourians put up with it. Missourians liked it. In fact, I think a lot of Republicans felt like with the Democrats having the governorship, it kind of tamped down on the crazy that they would put forward at the state legislature. 
Now we have a Republican governor, Governor Parsons, who I'm supporting for re-election, uh, a working guy who he doesn't have a bachelor's degree. So he says he's for working Missourians, which that's all of us. If you're a professional, if you work, if you flip burgers, it's all respectable work. And he says he's for every single working Missourian. So, um, but I, I want to kind of point out that while everyone's crowing over this Democrat winning the governorship, he was reelected, first of all. It wasn't like this was an electoral upset at the governor level. Second of all, he uh, he's he's the governor of a state that has a Republican supermajority. So it doesn't mean his hands are tied, but he certainly can't get radical and usher in a bunch of social exp experimentation because the Louisiana voters have kind of shown him we want a little bit of both. We want some balance. And now I, I like to see Republicans win everything they put their hand to. But in a state like Louisiana, um, how is this something that can be considered a, a major victory or a statement against President Trump? It's not. It's This is not a statement against anything having to do with President Trump getting reelected in November of 2020. Louisiana voters made a specific choice in this man and I think the tipping point for him, as far as I can read on the subject, is that he's pro-life. He's a Democrat, but he's pro-life. Louisiana has been one of those states that has been really trying to catch up with Missouri. You know, we, we're the, the leaders here for pro-life, uh, having vanquished our final Planned Parenthood. And we're on our 28th or 29th day without an abortion in the state of Missouri by Planned Parenthood. So Louisiana wants to replicate those results in their state. And they've been working hard at it. They wouldn't have reelected this guy if he had said he was as radical as, say, Governor Northam out in Virginia or uh, the, the governor of, of New York or the governor of California, where they're they're all they're just bloodthirsty about their love of abortion. So it's not that big of a deal. Now, I, I want to also point out one more thing. In 2016, West Virginia was the Trumpiest state in the whole USA. Sixty eight percent of West Virginia's votes went to Donald Trump as he broke Lincoln's state record set in 1864. In that same election in November of 2016, West Virginians elected a Democrat to be their governor. So it doesn't mean that President Trump won't win in the fall of next year. And I'm not saying that he doesn't have to campaign or he's not got a road to toe to get there. What I'm saying is these gubernatorial elections, special elections, even the general elections at the same time as the presidency, don't necessarily portend for him in a negative manner, you have to look at the state. You have to look at what else they've voted for. And you have to remember that Donald Trump is not on the ballot right now. In these special elections, people are not turning out to vote for Donald Trump. They're turning out to vote for specific candidates for specific elections. So just keep that in mind as you're listening to the pundits crow about Donald Trump having this weakness and Donald Trump having that weakness. And I think it's a load of malarkey. And um, and I'm not saying that because I'm on Black Voices for Trump either. I'm saying that because I, I genuinely think they're they're exaggerating what we're seeing here. Now, um, let's go over to uh, Attorney General Barr's speech from the other day. He was on Friday vigorously defending President Trump's use of executive authority and suggesting that House Democrats have subverted the will of the voters by exploring and trying to remove him from the presidency. Now, of course, the New York Times didn't really feel like they needed to quote him directly because his comments were so strong. I, I really like William Barr. It's interesting because I was kind of like, eh, I'll see how he, you know, how he works out. 
Well, he's worked out really well. Um, one of the passages that was fantastic, um, and you can find it over at Sundance. In fact, I'll put this link in the show notes as well. If you want to read his entire speech, you can click through from listen.stacyonwright.com and find the whole speech over at Sundance. Um, I, here's one of the best passages from it. And it was the whole speech was worth a good listen or read. One of the ironies of today is that those who oppose this president constantly accuse this administration of shredding constitutional norms and waging a war on the rule of law. When I ask my friends on the other side, what exactly are you referring to? I get vacuous stares followed by a sputtering about the travel ban or some such thing. While the president has certainly thrown out the traditional beltway playbook, he was upfront about that beforehand and the people voted for him. What I am talking about today are fundamental constitutional precepts. The fact is that this administration's policy initiatives and proposed rules, including the travel ban, have transgressed neither constitutional nor traditional norms and have been amply supported by the law and patiently litigated through the court system to vindication. He goes on and talks about scorched earth, no holds bar, uh, barred war of resistance against the administration. And that it is the left that is engaging in the systematic shredding of norms and undermining the rule of law. And so I, I just point to the fact that there is no rebuttal from the Democrats on that. And usually if they feel like they have a way of undermining something, an accusation, let's say, by President Trump or any one of his administrative officials, they will come out and, you know, you know how Nancy Pelosi likes to have a little press briefing and come out and, well, it, you know, the president said and then rebuff it. I've noticed that they don't ever rebuff these kinds of statements made by Justice Clarence Thomas, um, now A.G. Barr, and others. Uh, I, I believe Marco Rubio also made a speech where he was very, very strongly against the current temper tantrum that we're watching in Washington, D.C. I think it's important that leftists actually read these statements and consider them and decide whether or not this is the party they want. Is this what they voted for? So speaking of that, one of the big subjects for today uh, is a statement by Donald Trump Jr., Don Jr., about racism being the easy button of leftist politics. So I have a video clip of him. He's being interviewed over at the Daily Caller, and he's asked about the friends they've lost as a family uh, since their father became the president of the United States since he announced his candidacy. And he had really interesting comments. Cut one. Well, without question, my father sort of nailed it. I think he said it best. Uh, and he said it to me on uh, June 16th, 2015, as we're going down in the elevator to announce his presidency, uh, you know, sort of a chapter in the book. And he just looks at me and goes, now we find out who our real friends are. Uh, and it could not have been more true. I mean, you know, the second, you know, he announced he's a conservative, all of a sudden, that's when all those people, I'm like, well, oh, he's this, he's that, he's that. I'm like, that didn't stop you from having dinner with us last month. You know, here's the photo of you. I mean, heck, Whoopi was at the, like one of the last finales of The Celebrity Apprentice hanging out with us backstage. Like, you know, that's all sort of forgotten because, you know, everyone has their talking points. Everyone has the side. Uh, and if you're conservative, once you pick that side, uh, the other side's mind, mind is already made. So he makes a great point. Um, and, and we've made this point. Uh, we have said over and over again, and by we, I mean right-sided pundits, uh, radio hosts, talk show hosts, 
people, anybody who has two brain cells that are firing correctly, synaptically accurate brain cells, and anybody who's got lips that work has said that the same people who hate him now, I mean, how many times have rappers mentioned Donald Trump in their music videos? How many times have they shown pictures of his products or him in their videos? He was one of the most popular, uh, culturally relevant Hollywood types, New York types the, of, of his time. I mean, people loved having him on their shows. How many times has he been on 60 Minutes? How many times has he been uh, on C-SPAN talking politics? But back then, he also donated to Nancy Pelosi and Hillary Clinton. He was an equal opportunity offender with Republicans and Democrats. He would criticize them, and he would also give them slaps on the back and write checks to them. Uh, they loved him. That's that's the fact. Now, this next video cut, you'll see Don Jr. talking about what he calls the easy button of leftist politics. And I got to say, he's brilliant and dead on here. And by the way, check out the photos of me meeting Don Jr. at Trump International DC last week. He was getting a picture with a friend of mine who's the head of vets for Trump, Josh. And while they were getting a picture, I photobombed them by sticking my head right in between their heads and getting into the picture. So uh, you'll see that in, in, in the images as well. But first off, here's Don Jr. talking about the so-called easy button of leftist politics. It's cut to I call it, you know, it's the easy button of leftist politics. I mean, it's sort of like, I can't win an argument with facts. Racist. I can't, uh, I'm not doing so racist. I don't like you or your policies. Racist. Uh, and it's a real problem because it is an issue that still exists in this country. It's just not the only problem. It's not the answer to everything. Uh, you know, if you'd listen to the left, I mean, it's literally the cause of every problem in this country, and that's just not the reality. It is a real problem. It is something that affects a lot of people, but the problem is when they use it to try to win arguments that facts, numbers, where, where it doesn't add up, you do a huge disservice to those who are actually afflicted, which is not 99% of the population. It's a much smaller percentage of that, unlike what they would have you believe, but it is still a real issue. And so when people sort of hear it, and I'm like, okay, roll my eyes next, uh, it's a real problem for those who are actually afflicted and, and where it should be 100% shut down. Well, and <laughs> so, you know, examples I like to give from my own experience are us getting called the N-word outside the Sears store um, January of not this year, but last year. January of last year, I believe it was, Yeah. It's cold. My husband and I are bundled up. We walk outside of the Sears store. We've just bought a dishwasher. They're going to deliver it because um, our dishwasher totally, it just, hello, I'm not working for you today. And my husband tried to fix it and he did everything he could to get it you know, back where it needed to be. And it just wouldn't work. So we go to the Sears store at the Chesterfield Mall, which is, it's not far from where we live and it's in West County, but it's still in the metropolitan area of St. Louis. So we're not in a rural area. We're not in an area where it's just Republicans and not American flags waving everywhere, you know, because people want to act like it's just the white supremacist, right-sided politically people that are totally racist. And two young guys drive by in a car that looked like it was older than me and held together by duct tape. And they yelled the N-word at us out the window. And my husband and I were, we crossed the street from the actual store into the parking lot. We crossed into the parking lot and we heard it and we both just looked. And as we saw their car kind of, well, it was like a jalopy, just like, you know, hulking along. And I looked at him and he looked at me 
and we kind of shook our heads like that. And I said, did I hear what I just thought I heard? He's like, yeah, I, what, what in the world? I said, I know. We get in the car, the, the minivan, I should say, this is back when we still had the talking minivan. Um, we get in, buckle up and pull off and went on about our business. <laughs> that was it. Um, I mentioned it on air at the time because as usual, President Trump was being called a racist. And I think we encountered a couple of racists or, or maybe those two, because they looked like they were teenagers from what we could see. I mean, they were driving by. Um, maybe they were just high or on drugs or whatever. I Like, who cares? And it's not the first time my husband and I have been called the N-word at the window of a vehicle. It happened to us in Florida when we were dating. All those years ago, we met on Eglin Air Force Base. We were on our way into a blockbuster, just to show you how long ago that was. And a guy in a red pickup truck, pickup truck with a uh, rifle on a gun rack across the back. He drove by and he yelled the N-word at us. And we were walking across the parking lot again. And I turned and looked and my husband was like, can you believe that? And I was like, what in the world? And it was, we went in and checked out uh, movies and then went on about our business. And, and so we have other stories. I've written for the Post-Dispatch about how a lady wouldn't show us an apartment. Uh, we, were, we came there to look. My husband and I, just the two of us, we were lucky to rent an apartment at the time. And she wouldn't show it to us. She said she couldn't find the key. She had the key to every other unit, but the one we were wanting to look at. She wouldn't show us the other units that she had the key to. She said they needed to be cleaned. Um, and so we didn't know for sure that it was racism, but she would not show us the apartment. And she wouldn't give us an appointment to come back and look at it again later. And we ended up getting a really great place. So it was a blessing that we didn't see that place because we might have rented it. But whatever. The point is that sometimes people act horribly. Racism is a sin. It's not any more a sin than lying or gossiping or stealing or cheating is. It's a sin. Now, it's horrible. It feels terrible when it's leveled against you, but it's not the end of the world. And as Don Jr. just said there, it is not the worst thing going on right now in America, because if it were, we'd still be back before the civil rights era. We've elected a black president. We have black people leading in all areas of civic and public life, entertainment, everything. And we have Blacks coming here from other countries and achieving the American dream and outperforming whites on test scores, entrepreneurship, home ownership, and wealth attainment. So if those things are true, and they are, the statistics don't lie, then that means racism is not the primary issue that we should be facing. And when someone calls President Trump a racist, they're basically saying to you, I have nothing else I can talk about. I have no ideas. I, ha I don't even have any true legitimate criticism of him that I can level. So I'm going to use race. And you should be yawning when you hear that. You should be yawning. Now, if you're talking to a regular person, say you and I are in, in a conversation, and I say that something happened to me, that's when we should spend time listening empathetically and sharing. And I don't just mean me specifically. I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, when someone tries to share with you that something's happened, that's when we're to be empathetic and listen. That's when we're to say, you know what? I'm sorry that happened to you. That's not you saying you did it. That's you being a human being to another human being and saying, hey, wow, I'm sorry that happened to you. And that's it. That's, that's all we're responsible for. Trying to treat each other like people, trying to respect each other, trying to be loving to each other as best we can, knowing that we're going to mess up. I mean, I was snappish to this lady at a store and my daughter was like, well, that was a bit snappish. I thought, oh, I guess it was. Oh no. I've been snappish. I've been rude. It wasn't racism, but it was certainly not my best behavior. And she called me on it. That's all we can do, right?
But we know Donald Trump's not a racist, okay? He shook my hand and took a picture with me. And I'm black, permanently tanned, in fact. <laughs> and that's the show for today. It's such a pleasure to be with you on LifeZet TV. You got to go to our website. It's LifeZet.com. Check out the op-eds over there and all of the fantastic up-to-date news stories. Check out our faith section over there. Um, I love having LifeZet being a part of it, being a part of their thing, them being a part of my thing. Check it out. So, yeah, check out both my signs. Yeah. So um, have a fantastic evening, and I'll be back with you with more tomorrow on Stacey on the Right.